serve a God whose spirit is afar off somewhere, but we serve a God who is actively involved in doing everything He can do to pursue us, to bring us into His mercy and His grace. I'm so thankful that I serve a God that loves me and is chasing me to give me the gift of His mercy. And so we begin to look a little bit at how the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, begins to convince us of our sin, to convince us of our need of Him, to convince us that we need to believe in Jesus. We begin to recognize that every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is magnifying Jesus to them. And that's how He as the inviter begins to work. And today I would like to move in, and for those of you who have bulletins nearby, there is an outline that should be on the back page of that for you that may want to jot down some notes. And I'd like to begin today to look at the Holy Spirit as the regenerator. The Holy Spirit is the regenerator. And the reason why I want to dwell on this a little bit this morning is that I think that people come at an understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit from different backgrounds. I've noticed this through the years in conversations that I've had. To the Holy Spirit, we must be careful that it's not our background that shapes our understanding of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit, but we must be very careful that it's the Scripture that shapes our understanding of the Spirit. There are people that come at the New Testament from a non-Pentecostal background to say that at conversion you received the Spirit, and that at that moment in time, that's all the Spirit you're going to get, that It comes in fullness at that moment. There are also those that come from Pentecostal backgrounds that I've had conversations with who seem to be saying that at conversion, you only receive Jesus, but that you have to wait a while before you receive anything of the Spirit. And sometimes the way that we describe salvation from a Pentecostal perspective leads people to believe that coming to faith in Jesus Christ is like getting two-thirds of the Godhead. That you get the Father and you get the Son. But that if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that there is none of the Holy Spirit within you. And in the confusion of all of these things, I would like us to run back to Scripture today so that we can begin to focus and shape our belief on the ministry of the Holy Spirit on what the Scripture has to say rather than just about what we may have been taught in our background because of denominational loyalty. I think we should always run to the Scripture to see what God has to say. And the fact is that we receive the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and that the presence of God dwells in our life through the Holy Spirit. He is the regenerator. So how is the Spirit present in our lives at conversion? How does He work within us during that time of regeneration? First of all, we are born of the Spirit, the Scripture says. We are born of the Spirit. One element of the Spirit's presence within our lives in conversion is the fact that we can only be born of the Spirit. The Spirit is the agent. He brings the life of Jesus into us. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here. And He says to him, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
There are two elements that are mentioned within this passage of Scripture that talk about what happens to us at new birth or when we become those that receive Christ. And in fact, this also mirrors an Old Testament passage that can be found in Ezekiel chapter 36. For those of you that have your Bibles and want to turn there, you can find it in verses 25 through 27. The prophet speaking says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. How many of you are glad today that when Christ enters your life, He gives you a new heart? That you don't have to have the old heart. You don't have to have the old thoughts. You don't have to have the old life that He just makes clean. No, He gives you something brand new. He said, I will give you a new heart. And He also says, I will put a new spirit in you. Look at your neighbor and says, He's given you a new spirit. I don't think some of you quite believe that, but I'm glad you repeated it. The Scripture goes on to say, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit in you and move you to follow My decrees and to be careful of My laws. We begin to see very clearly here that in the process of regeneration, or as we have come to know it as getting saved or receiving Christ or coming to faith, that the Bible very clearly says that the Holy Spirit's role in this is to come and dwell within us at the moment. He is the regenerator. He's the one that comes in and takes the old out and puts the new in. It's the Holy Spirit living within you at this moment of regeneration that motivates you and moves you to want to be obedient to Him. It's the Spirit of God within you. What the prophet Ezekiel is speaking of is saying that God promises to come in and cleanse us and put His Spirit within us. Jesus said He was born of water and that the cleansing which the Lord provides through His atonement and which water baptism represents when we are baptized in water demonstrating that we are dying to the old life and we are resurrected in new life and some of you next Sunday morning are going to be baptized in water, demonstrates to us that the Spirit of God has come in and done something. So when we offer to you the opportunity to begin a life of faith or to receive Christ, we're not simply talking about asking Him to forgive you of your sins. We're talking about you inviting Him into your life and that the Spirit would take up residence in you and do the regeneration within you. I believe this morning that we have a great analogy that we can compare it to that helps us to come to understand how new birth works. And we receive this analogy or this picture of this in the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus. How was Jesus, the divine, eternal Son of God, how did He become flesh? He became flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work. In the incarnation of Christ, He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 20, the Scripture says that Joseph is told by the angel. God speaks to Joseph through an angel, and He says, What is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. What is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. In a miracle that I cannot fathom, 
in a miracle that I cannot begin to explain, the Son of God came bodily into the presence of the womb in microscopic form, implanted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I do not understand how the Eternal One who can fill all the things in the universe can become microscopically present in the flesh, but He does it through the Spirit. The Spirit planted Jesus into the body of Mary to develop as one who is completely God and completely man. And the angel Gabriel tells Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and His power will overshadow you. And so we see that in a spiritual plane, in the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit is seeking to reduplicate in us what He did physically in the womb of Mary when we come to Jesus Christ. He's birthing Jesus into our life. At the moment that we come to Christ, He plants, the Holy Spirit plants by the power of the Spirit. Himself within us, so that when we are made new, what is created there is not created of man. It is created by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living within you by the power of God at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ. However, that decision must be yours. The power of the Holy Spirit will not overwhelm you, will not take that decision away from you. You must decide for yourself whether or not you will allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in you by your own invitation. In fact, Mary again serves as an example because she had to say, Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. For with man this is impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. That's exactly what we say. Lord, how, how is it possible that the external life of God lives within us, lives within me? How is it possible and how can we say that the Spirit of God who created all of this can dwell in me and change me and work in me and work through me? How can it be said that we've come to faith in Jesus Christ and from that decision, inviting the Spirit into our life, that we are changed and the old heart is taken out and a new heart is put in. How can this be? And we say it like Mary. For man, it's impossible, but nothing is impossible to God as it relates to your life. So being born of the Spirit of God in our lives is as much a miracle as the miracle was of Jesus being planted in the the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we should never, ever, ever take it for granted when people are responding to the Gospel call and when they say, I am ready to receive Christ. I want that new life within me. That is as much a miracle as the incarnation of Christ because He plants Himself within you. It changes our mortal existence through the power of the Spirit and we are made immortality. We are made that which is dead becomes life and cannot be touched by this world. The divine God lives within us. We become His children. One of the writers that I was reading as I was preparing for this used some terminology that that kind of captured my attention when he said, when the Spirit of God comes into you at regeneration, when you begin to walk by faith in Christ, 
Something happens. No longer do you live according to the species of being human, but you belong to a whole new species that is uniquely divine planted within you. And as I took that and I began to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, as a result of that, it begins to, uh, to take on a little bit new of a meaning. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, when Christ comes into your life at your invitation, there is something that changes within you that begins to change your species from that which calls citizenship earth to that which calls citizenship heaven. The Spirit of God, alive and well within man. That regeneration. And regeneration is simply taking that which is dead and regenerating it, causing it to be generated again, causing it to live again. In John chapter 20, verse 22, is a scripture that bears on this theme of receiving the Spirit in conversion. And I want you to... Not only is it be up here, but I would like you to keep a finger in this verse because we're going to refer to this a little bit because it's going to help us understand some things about the working of the Spirit. Jesus appears to His disciples. This is the first evening after His resurrection. And Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father hath sent Me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and He said this, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Hours after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, He shows up to these men who were confused. This is not what they had pictured. They thought they were going to be serving in an earthly kingdom, that Jesus was going to be the king, and they were all going to be governors. And in the middle of all of their confusion, in the middle of their heartache, Jesus shows up to them and He looks at them and He says, Peace, peace be with you. And then He says something. As the Father has sent Me, I am now going to send you. And with that it says He breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. Now let me pose to you a question that may cause you to think for a moment. And honestly, it's a, it's a little bit of a foreign question to the Gospels, but when do you think the disciples were saved? When do you think the disciples were saved? There are some that would argue and say that the disciples were saved the first moment they decided to follow Jesus. Others will say that they had to be sometime in their walk with Christ because the Lord told them to rejoice that their names were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Others will say the disciples really came to saving faith in Christ when at Caesarea Philippi, Peter and the others confessed Jesus as the Messiah. And there are others that argue that they didn't become Christians until Acts chapter 2 at the bestowal of the Spirit. I believe, however, along with several others, that the key hinge here is found in John 20, 22. And although it may be appropriate to speak of the disciples as saved prior to this time, uh, in a loose sense of the word, the fact is that until Christ's resurrection, 
until he had died and been risen from the dead, the faith of the disciples was exactly like that of the faith of the Old Testament people. It was an anticipatory faith of what the Messiah would do. Do I believe that they had relationship with Jesus? Yes, I do. But it was an anticipation of how He would begin to win for them their salvation. How could they have full saving faith yet when the work of Jesus was not yet finished? He had not yet died for their sins. He had not yet risen from the dead. You see, saving faith in the New Testament sense, the saving faith as it relates to you and I today, is we look back on the work of Jesus Christ. We already know that He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. We know that He died for our sins. We know He shed His blood for us. We know that our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. We know that He's cleansed us because of His finished work on the cross. We know that He rose from the dead. But saving faith in the Old Testament sense, or for those that were in relationship with Jesus before He died, was looking forward prophetically to what Christ would do and believing that the Messiah would one day come and that His benefits at that moment would be applied to them retroactively. The disciples in that upper room on that evening are in a position for the very first time to have the divine light, the resurrected life, imputed and implanted into their life. The first moment that they are allowed to see the finished work of Christ And that life comes through the agency of the Spirit of God who said He is life. So Jesus does something here. And it's very very crucial. In fact, it could not have been done up until this time because salvation, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, says that in a New Testament sense that whoever believes in his heart that Jesus is raised and confesses with his lips shall be saved. They couldn't make that confession until this very moment. Because they didn't know that He'd been raised. They didn't know that He had finished the work. Now, I don't know how the Lord breathed on them. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if He walked up to them and breathed in everyone's face. I don't know if He said, stand against the wall and just made a breath across the room. I don't know if he breathed with his nostrils. I don't know if he breathed in their ear. I just know that there was significance that he breathed upon them. Because what the symbolism here that is involved is the Lord is using the very symbol, which means life itself. Breath is the symbol of life. And if you don't believe that breath is the symbol of life, then all you have to do is go into a hospital when they're trying to decide whether somebody is alive or not. And what the first thing they do is they bend down and ask, are they breathing? Because if one is alive, there will be breath. You and I, by the gift of God, have been given certain intellects that help us and help those that give us care in our medical field that can help sustain life. But we have not been given the power to restore life to that which was dead. That's beyond us. And so what Jesus is doing in breathing on them is saying, now I have won won by benefit of my resurrection life. I have won for you 
this virtue that I can now breathe into you life. And I have a kind of new life that I will breathe into you. The new life that I give will be witnessed in the person of the Spirit that will live within you. It's the Spirit Jesus is breathing into them. It's the Spirit which gives them life. It's the Spirit alone which gives life. And you and I today need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we can live life to the fullest. Because the Spirit gives us that quality of life. Now remember back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2-7 it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust in the creation setting. And the Scripture says that He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God had taken dust and dirt and whatever He needed to put together, formed it into the body of man, and at the moment that He took that which He created, He breathed into the nostrils, and suddenly we became living beings. God bending over clay man and giving life. What Jesus is doing in His resurrection, He's saying to the disciples, go back to the number one human in existence. Go back to the beginning where I breathed life into man and gave you life the first time. I want you to know that I'm breathing into you life on a new order today. I'm reenacting the activity of God. The life that I breathed into you is not this time lifetime bound. This is eternal. This is new. It's a different life I'm breathing into you today. It will not be bound by this earth. It's a life that is a whole different kind. It's a life that makes you different than you were before. It's a life that is represented by the fact that when Jesus breathed into the disciples, He's breathing the very Spirit of God into their life to be able to make His home within them. Therefore, when we look at receiving the Spirit in regeneration, when we look at receiving the Spirit when we come to Christ, we recognize that what is being said is that the Lord is reenacting Genesis 2-7 when He first created us and gave us life. When He rebirths you, He gives you a new life of a different order, a higher order, an eternal order. But breath is the symbol of life. And life can only be given by God. That brings us to the Holy Spirit then as the indweller. When we've received Him, He comes into us and He indwells. And it's appropriate therefore for every believer who makes a true confession in Jesus Christ, who yields their life to Him, to not receive the Spirit of God. Uh, That when you receive the Spirit of God at conversion, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. It's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you, because He does. You don't get two-thirds of the Godhead. You get it all. At conversion, the Scripture describes us as being indwelt of the Spirit of God. In fact, Corinthians 3.16, Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? And that God's Spirit lives in you. I want you to understand very clearly today there's a difference in the Spirit of God living in you at regeneration and the Holy Spirit's empowering at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because there's so many people that either have the idea that the Spirit doesn't live within me or I can't be a Spirit-led person because I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in regeneration living within you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives within you. I want to remind you of that today. This verse came to my mind this morning 
as I was standing at the front praying for you after we had a manifestation of the Spirit in tongues and interpretation, which according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is something that can take place today as the Lord speaks to His people to capture your attention, to let you know what's going on and that He loves you and cares about you. But you need to know today that you are no longer controlled by your sinful nature when the Spirit of God lives within you. Some of you have had such difficulty in falling into the same thing again and again, and I want you to know it's time for you to say, Lord, breathe new life into me that will help me overcome those things which have continually tripped me up. Because you live within me. I belong to you. And though the enemy may try to rough me up, I need you to prop me up and strengthen me and help me because the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he will not belong to Christ. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Time and time and time again, the Scripture describes to us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. You are not alone when Christ lives within you. How then are we to distinguish between receiving the Holy Spirit at regeneration and conversion and receiving the baptism of the Spirit in Pentecostal empowerment? The term receiving the Holy Spirit can be used both of receiving the Spirit in regeneration and also receiving the Spirit in Pentecostal empowerment. And it's important to note the difference between these two and the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Pentecostal empowerment. For example, after Jesus has breathed His Spirit, the Holy Spirit into the disciples, and they have become regenerated according to the new order of life. He yet says to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This is a conversation that He is now having with them after He has breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. We're beginning to see a separation between even the terms of receiving the Spirit in the mind of Jesus as He's describing to them there is something else that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that the Spirit doesn't live within you. It just means that there is a separate experience that's going to help you in a new way. Nod your head if you understand. This is very important. Thank you, Roman. Don't hurt yourself. For example... After Jesus has freed this Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the disciples, and they become regenerated, He says to them, now something else is going to happen to you. Then He says also after this event in John 2022, or after the 2022 event, He says in Acts chapter 1, verses 5, 4 and 5, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's separating the events of receiving the Spirit from regeneration and receiving the Spirit in Pentecostal empowerment. A few days after one, the other was going to happen. Now, I would like to take just a moment this morning and do a little bit of a cross-reference between John 20, 22 and Acts 2, 4 so that we can begin to draw a clear understanding of what the Bible says about these. 
So in John 20, 22, we've already recognized that He breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit after His resurrection, His first encounter on them, which we believe at that point in time says the Holy Spirit now dwells in you because of my finished work on the cross. Yet in Acts 2, 4, these same men who Jesus had breathed on earlier are now instructed to go and wait because there's going to be a further experience with the Holy Spirit that will give them an enablement that they didn't have. Does this mean that they had never received the Spirit? No, it doesn't. That's not what it means. It means that the Spirit is coming to them in a new order, yet for different kinds of purposes. That there's different things the Spirit wants to do through our lives. Some words, you have got to determine what the meaning is depending upon the context it's being used in. And the word that is translated that we understand as receiving the Spirit is called an equivocal usage. It's a usage that you have to determine how it is in the context that determines its meaning. Let me give you an example of something that we might be familiar with. In our language, that word would be breathe and breath. It's the same word. It's spelled the same. Yet it's the context that determines its meaning. After a fast walk, you are out of breath. It's a noun. I love to breathe. Fresh air becomes the verb. It's an action verb. In other words, it's the context that determines its meaning. When we apply this principle to the Scripture as it relates to the principle of John 20, it's clear what it means. It means then that the receiving the Spirit was coming in the regeneration or in the new birth or the resurrected, finished work of Christ is alive in you. You receive the Spirit of God when you ask Christ to come into your life. The clear example of the Holy Spirit indwells a person in different power available through the power of the Holy Spirit in the empowerment of Pentecost in Acts 8, 4, verses 14 through 17 says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the Word of God, in other words, when they heard that they had had the regeneration, when they heard that they had been born again, when they heard that they had become saved, as we say that, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed with them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. There's the same terminology, the same words. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. That they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You can begin to see even in this very verse the different context of the very same Greek phrase that is used in the context that is described here. The Samaritans had already received Christ in salvation. Yet it was this occasion that the disciples came and said, there's something further for you. And so were they were receiving in the John 22 sense? No. They were receiving in the Acts 2-4 sense. Paul coming to the Ephesians in Acts 19-1 said this, Having believed... Did you receive the Holy Spirit? In other words, having been regenerated, having received Christ, and now that the Holy Spirit lives within you, have you received the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? He's talking about baptism, Pentecostal empowerment baptism since here. And so we hold these two verses up and try to come to an understanding that the same terminology can mean two different things depending on the context of the passage of Scripture. When Jesus says that I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send back a gift. He's talking about something that is available to each and every one of us. There's an empowerment nature that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke 24, 49, I like the way it talks about this. It says, the wording here is of being clothed with power. It 
it reminded me, for those of us that went to Haiti, on our way back from, from Haiti, the movie on our airplane was um, something about superheroes. Yeah, whatever. <clears throat> the, part that, the part that captured my attention, not that I always look at superhero movies in the spiritual sense, but there was a part in there that as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, that is so cool because that describes a biblical principle, and I'd like to show it to you. It's when Iron Man steps in and gets the suit put on. Do we have that, please? Okay, that's cool. That is so cool. Because this is the scripture that I pictured when that came up. Be clothed with power from on high. Be clothed with power from on high. This mortal man steps into this suit. The life, that thing in the heart, was going to empower that. And to put into a very modern context, the baptism of the Holy Spirit simply means that we allow the clothing and the power of supernatural God to come over us and to be able to be used for something greater than we've ever been used for before. It was for a purpose that he stepped into that suit. And so let me summarize very quickly as we conclude. At conversion, when we come to Christ as our Savior, when He regenerates us, that's for our benefit. You see, it was for my benefit that I'm born of the Spirit of God when I receive Christ. It's for my benefit that my unrighteousness is cleansed. It's for my benefit that He plants within me the living Spirit of God to give me life and to direct me. It's for my benefit that He takes up residence in my temple, the temple of my life. It's for my benefit that He makes me a new species of an eternal order after that which is of heaven. It's for my benefit that He lives within me to lead me and to guide me and to reveal scriptural truth to me. These are all benefits that accrue to me as a result of coming to Christ and giving my life to Him in regeneration. But the Spirit is not only made available for us for our benefit, the Spirit is made available for us that we might be a benefit to the world as well. And this is where Pentecostal baptism comes in. In Acts 2, the baptism of empowerment. So that we might be more available to be used at the Spirit's disposal for the regeneration of others. That we might have the power for evangelism. That we might have the power to pray and see miracles. That we might have supernatural power that is not of us, but we have been clothed with something that is divinely in the unique nature of God Himself that is at work. It requires of us the availability to say, God, I want to be used of You more than I ever have before. Not that Christ's Spirit does not live within us, but that He brings us to another level. That's why the Spirit of the purpose of the Spirit coming into our lives. And so I wanted you to be clear as we conclude this, that if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it does not mean that the Holy Spirit does not live within you. That's unscriptural. It means that to receive the Spirit in a sense of being regenerated or receiving Christ's life into you changes you, gives you an old heart that's taken out and a new heart that's put in, and you become uniquely the Lord's because you have said to Him, I accept what you've done in my life. I accept what you've done for my life. But that when we have come to the Lord in regeneration, there is yet another experience of receiving the Spirit that is available to us 
Not just for what He does within us, but now, Lord, You empower us so that we can then make a difference in the world in which we live. One is for my benefit. The other is to be used of Your benefit, Lord, to send us. To send us an empowerment. And I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes for a moment and bow your head because I do not want to embarrass anyone, but I want to give you the opportunity. The church is the only institution that does not exist for its members, but exists for those that have not yet become part of the kingdom. And if you are here today and you say, you know what, I've not had this regenerative experience in my life. I have never, with my own decision-making process, asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and indwell in me to the Spirit and forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. I'm not living well for Him because I've not let Him take leadership of my life in the realm of the Spirit. And today, I would like to know that that work that He did on the cross can be placed within me and can make me a brand new person. If you would like that experience today, I'm just going to ask that you would just lift your hand and you can put it right back down. I'm simply going to say, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. just want to agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Are there others? You want to receive Jesus Christ today. You want Him to regenerate you and make you brand new. He's hovering over the chaos of your life, ready to bring created order to you so that for once in your life you can enjoy the absolute fulfillment of being everything that He has made you to be. Yes, sir, I agree with you. You're ready to leave the chaos and have the Lord do a work in your life. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me for everyone that raised your hand and every one of us that are here today. We're all going to say this together. Because the Bible says that if you say this and you mean it, that He will come into your life and take up residence in you. So please repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I need You more than ever. I have heard today that Your Spirit will come live in me. So I invite You to come. I ask You to take the chaos of my life and create order within me. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. Take away my old stone heart and replant in me a heart of Your nature. I ask You to sit on the throne of my life. I make You Lord. You give me directions. And I will obey You. Thank You for saving my soul and living within me. In Jesus' name, Amen. That is a big, as big of a miracle as Mary giving birth as a virgin to Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God has planted Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. I'm going to ask our worship team if you would sing that song, I Surrender All. As we were singing that this morning, I... I couldn't help but thinking of what that declaration means to me. And for some of you today, you simply need an opportunity to stand in the presence of the Lord and, and just lift your hands to Him and say, Lord, I just want to tell you once again, I, I surrender myself to You. And 
As we begin to sing this, I'm going to ask for those of you, just begin to come up. We're going to have just a time here of just worshiping the Lord and calling out to Him and recognizing His Lordship in our life. Time of just praising the Lord. Time of declaring even with our words that there's nothing in our life that we are not afraid to surrender to Him. Would you join as we sing this together and won't you come as we begin to sing, I surrender all.